0: Welcome to the Embassy City Podcast. Today is week five of the Make Room series. If it's your first time listening, you can listen to past weeks on this podcast or watch it on youtube.com forward slash Embassy City Church. Now let's join Pastor Tim.
1: First Samuel chapter number 17. Uh, I wanna read a few verses in your hearing and then we just gonna go. Is that all right? Um, Starting at the 12th verse, here's what it says. Now, David was the son of a man named Jesse, an Ephrathite from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. Jesse was an old man at that time, and he had eight sons. Jesse's three oldest sons, Eliab, Abinadab, and Shemaiah, had already joined Saul's army to fight the Philistines. David was the youngest son. David's three oldest brothers stayed with Saul's army, but David went back and forth so he could help his father with the sheep in Bethlehem. For 40 days, every morning and evening, the Philistine champions strutted in front of the Israelite army. One day, Jesse said to David, take this basket of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers and give these 10 cuts of cheese to their captain. See how your brothers are getting along and bring back a report on how they are doing. Now, this is a interesting passage I just read you because in 1 Samuel chapter number 17, this is the the pivot for David. This is the quintessential battle that people talk about to this day. Books have been written on it. Uh, Corporations have been described by it. Football teams have been venerated being called David versus Goliath. And spoiler alert, David won. (laughs) So my focus is not to talk about the actual fight between David and Goliath. My my, my focus is to uh, zoom in on and investigate how David got to the fight to begin with. So if you're taking notes on this message, please write this down. Don't be too high. To come in low. Don't be too high to come in low. Bow your hands. Let's pray over the word, shall we? Holy Spirit, humble us. Amen. The story of David and Goliath is a compelling story. It is central to Israel's history. Without chapter number 17, we don't see the origin story of how David comes to be who God has called him to be. Uh, But I would be absolutely negligent to dive straight into the passage I just read without giving you some framework and some context leading up to it. The only reason why 1 Samuel 17 is necessary is because of something that happens with David's predecessor, Saul. As a matter of fact, if it wasn't for Saul and his omissions, not just his omissions, co-missions, the only thing we would ever know about David is that he was a man of war and he was a great soldier in Saul's army. For all intents and purposes, ladies and gentlemen, uh, David should not even be the central figure in Israel. It should be Saul because the first person chosen to be king was chosen by God And that man was Saul. But in my studies this past year, in my just yearly reading through the Bible, I was able to see something about Saul that I never saw before. It was so interesting to me and it actually broke my heart. I know if you've probably read about Saul, you've heard people preach about Saul. He's given a bad rap and there's some things that he did that he should not have done. His reputation is marred because of those things, but I have a heart filled with grace and compassion for Saul. And the reason why I do is because if you go back to his origin story of how he became king, you will begin to find out that What God had in mind and what Saul had in mind for himself were not the same thing. You have to go all the way back to 1 Samuel chapter number nine and in your own time of uh, reading the Bible in prayer, I invite you to do so so that your biblical IQ can be raised. Saul has been sent on a mission by his wealthy father. He comes from a, a family of influence, a family of wealth, his father lost a bunch of donkeys and he sends Saul out to recover the donkeys that were lost. Saul takes off with his servant to go find these donkeys and, and, and giving up hope, uh, the servant says, maybe we should ask a prophet what has happened to these donkeys. And they get a gift together and they go to the prophet. Uh, it happens to be Samuel and and. and And they say, Hey, can you help us find our donkeys? Will you please, perchance, maybe God will give you some insight or some revelation on on where my father's livestock has gone? And, And God reminds Samuel in that moment, Hey, remember I told you that about this time tomorrow, I'm gonna show you who's going to be the next, who's going to be the first king of Israel? He's coming. And when Saul walks up, God tells Samuel, This is the guy. I want him to be king of Israel. So Samuel, inspired by the Holy Spirit, moved by God with a word from God, shares with Saul that you are now to be the king of all Israel. And here is Saul's response. Me? You can't be talking to me. I'm from the smallest tribe in Israel. And and our family is the least of all the tribes in Israel. This is the way he thought about himself, even though scripture had just said his father was wealthy. I want to take you slow here because you may not understand that the way you see yourself can impair the word that you receive from God. The way that you look at your own situation could literally hinder you from from receiving something that God wants to give to you. We've been talking about making room, but if you see everything in your life as something that God can't use, then even if the right word comes, the wrong mindset will block you from seeing that word come to pass. Scripture said his father was wealthy. Scripture said his family was set. But the way he saw himself was small. The way he saw his family was least of those amongst the tribes and the clans. And he tells him, no, 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 it's you. And he pulls out the oil. The same oil that would be used on David later was pulled out on Saul first and the oil ran out of the horn and it, and it, and it, and it saturated. This was not, you, you know, contemporary Pentecostal church where we do this and, and get, get you with that, <laughs> right? The little oily cross, Bebel. This was old school, whatever you wore that day was gonna be ruined for life. Because that oil was gonna come all down your curls, ladies. All through that good old hair coloring you got. Man, it was going to cover that fade, that new super cut you got, whatever it is, whatever style you had. It was going to come through all of that and go down your face into your shirt. And if it was a silk blouse, it's gone. 100% cotton, gone. Okay? Got your nice little suit and it's a, it's a nice little wool suit, dead. Don't even send it to the cleaners because they can't do nothing with extra virgin olive oil cold press, first edition. (laughs) Nothing can be done with that. (laughs) The anointing is on him. All the anointing is, I've told you multiple times, is God's approval. The anointing is now on Saul. Saul knows that God has chosen him to be king. Samuel told him. It was done in private for him to receive it first. And the next day it was about to be public for the entire congregation of Israel to receive second. I don't know why they chose to do it American Idol style. If you go back and read the text, it was not done in private with just Samuel and Saul. And then the next day, Samuel walks out with Saul like, hey, children of Israel, here goes your, your first king. They, they did it like, 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 you know, competition style, called out all the tribes, lined them all up, Levi and Judah and Simeon and Naphtali and Gad and Asher and Benjamin and Judah called them all up, lined them all up and then got down all the tribes lined up, then got all the tribes and then went down to clans and from clans went down to families and said, Saul is the one that is going to be king. And you couldn't find Saul. Saul is the king. Can't find Saul. Think about it. Jennifer Hudson wins American Idol. And and, and the confetti, and it comes down. No Jennifer. Where's she? Reuben Stutter is the winner of American. You can tell I have not watched American Idol. Recently, at all. All of my references are a decade old. I make no apologies for that. Not at all. Reuben Stoddart! Reuben! Ruby! Gone. Nobody's there. Scripture says that on the day that he was supposed to be coronated as king, he is hiding Amongst the baggage. With the oil on his head and the approval of God on his life, he is hiding amongst the baggage. And here's why. And this is what broke my heart. Everybody's looking at the leadership of Saul and what he did and how how angry he was and manipulative and controlling and how subsequently jealous he would become. Uh, You're looking at the wrong thing. The reason why my heart goes out to Saul is because I understand why his leadership was so janky. It's because he never agreed with God about being chosen as king. And when God has spoken a word over your life and said, this is what I want you to do, and you don't come into agreement with it, but do it anyway, you do it with a grudge. You step into that season, but you never really are comfortable in what God is doing is because you don't agree you should be being there. You should be there in the first place. I mean, I'm doing I'm being obedient to the Lord is what he wants me to do. But I mean, oh. I mean, if you say so, Lord, and that attitude will make the relationship and the season difficult for you. This is not what I wanted, but I mean, I, I guess if this is what he won't, I guess I'll do it. Anybody beside me ever been in a season that God has had you in and, and you low key just didn't like it? I'm exhorting you to change your attitude. Because there's something you're supposed to learn in that season that if you do not submit fully to the will of God, you will completely miss the revelation he's trying to give you because you're on to the next. Some of you are are, are in this season out of obedience, but the only thing you can think about is when I will be over here. And you never learn what you're supposed to learn here because you're too busy thinking about over there. I know a lot of young preachers with a call on their life, and they're mad right now that they got to work at Best Buy. They're mad right now that they got to do Uber runs. They're mad right now that they're still in corporate America, not understanding that there are lessons that you are learning in corporate America that's going to train you better for pastoring than when you step into the pastorate. I'll never forget when I used to work for CarMax, the auto superstore. The first one that opened off Spur 482 in 1997, I was one of the first employees there. I got here in 1997, it opened at the end of 1997, I filled out an application and I was a car salesman at Carmex the auto superstore. (laughs) And in the first 90 days of employment with the little khakis on and my shirt tucked in, polo shirt tucked in, little name badge on, I sold three cars in 90 days. And the sales team lead said, I need to see you. (laughs) Sir, if you just, I just need you to, if I can get you to come over here real quick. um, It's not working. I don't know what your problem is, but uh, it's really not working out for you. Selling cars. There was an African guy who worked, he was looking, he, was, he made me look bad because obviously I only sold three cars in 90 days, but he made the second best sales producer look bad because this dude was selling two to three cars a day. He took that anointing of being aggressively African <laughs> and nobody was leaving without a car. If he locked eyes with you, you were leaving with a car. You will buy a car today. Come, Come this way. Come this way. How much can you afford? Come this way. Come this way. No, 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 man. You don't look at Mercedes. You look at Pontiac. You will leave with a Pontiac today. I know my accent's not that good. Please, Africans, don't get mad. I sold three cars in 90 days. They were like, you got to find another job. So I wound up working nights uh, as a quality assurance specialist. All the cars that wind up on the front lot had to pass my final inspection before they went out there. Now remember, this is a used car sales place, which means that minor dents and scratches meant they get to go to the front lot. Minor tears in the upholstery and stains, they get to go to the front lot. It took a big dent to keep it on the back lot. It took a huge stain to keep it on the back lot. And the reason why we had to get these cars to the front lot is because all the cars on the back lot don't make us any money. So let's get these cars repaired as fast as possible to get to the front lot so they could be used for somebody's benefit. The only cars we could not sell, back lot or front lot, were cars that had frame damage. The literal integrity of the vehicle had to be compromised for us not to be able to sell that car. And those are the cars that were sold at auction. So they still had a purpose. It's just that they had to go through a different channel to be used. That was in 1997. I didn't have my first pastoral assignment until 2006. And when I got the job as a young adult pastor, my first pastor at out the gate, here's what the Holy Spirit said when I got in my office and sat at my desk. Let's talk about you working at CarMax. Because it was at CarMax that I started teaching you how to pastor. Tim, people are like used cars. They're all used. They all got some scratchings and some dents, some stains and some tears. And in the same way you couldn't judge that vehicle and still had to put it on the front lot, don't let somebody's flaws keep you from looking at the gift that I've put on the inside of them. (laughs) CarMax was preaching. I didn't even know it. But if I wasn't paying attention in that season, I wouldn't have been prepared for the season that God had me for. Saul's leadership was absolutely compromised because he never lined up with God. And the only reason why David even comes up is because God has to look for somebody else. That wasn't even his plan. Jesus should have came through the lineage of Saul, Benjamin, son of my right hand. But because of his own personal insecurity, he could not see what God saw in him please believe what God says about you. When God calls you his child, please believe it. When he says you're his masterpiece, please believe it. When he gives you a promise, please receive it because you never want your own poor self-image to hinder you from believing what the creator said about you. He said, Samuel, stop checking with him. I'm over him. I have found a man that is after my own heart and I'll show you where he is if you go to Jesse's house. Samuel had already been through a few situations with Saul. Saul was more concerned about his public image than he was about his relationship with God and therefore God and Samuel moved on. On the day that Samuel went into Jesse's house. Jesse, who has eight kids, only invites seven to the reception for Samuel. Samuel said he was looking for a king. Jesse knows he has eight sons, but he only invited seven. Samuel looks at the first son, Eliab, who was strong tall, head and shoulders above above everyone else, good looking. And because he looked exactly like the last king, who was tall, head and shoulders above everyone else and good looking, Samuel thought, this gotta be the guy. He fits the prototype. And God cautions Samuel by telling him, whoa, 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 don't look at that. Don't, don't, don't look at what everyone else looks at. And then he makes a statement that so many people in church get twisted. God says, man looks at the outward appearance, but I look at the heart. And here's how Christians have interpreted that. I don't care what you think about me. And I don't care if you like the way I dress. Man looks at the outward appearance but God looks at my heart. So you're gonna come in here with almost your pajamas on (laughs) and say, I'm anointed by the Lord, but you're judging me based on my appearance. But God looks at my heart. Slow it down. He just dissed you. God said, man looks at the outward appearance, but I look at the heart, slow it down, he just dissed you. Man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. So you better get your outward appearance looking good, because that's what man looks at. And you better get your inward heart looking good, because that's what God looks at. It's not one at the expense of the other. It's you being able to make both coexist for the purposes and plans that God has for your life. Well, I want to keep it real. Y'all trying to change me. If you chose this profession or career, and this is the way you need to advance, you have to make a decision. Because man does look at the outward appearance. I'm gonna tell them myself all day today. I, I, I was the youngest elder ever ordained at the Potter's House. Uh, uh, I was 24 years old when I got ordained. That's a big deal. It might not sound like a big deal, but back then, most people were getting licensed. Very few people were being ordained at the Potter's House, okay? I got ordained at the Potter's House when I was 24 years old. Y'all, I'm from LA. I didn't know no better. I knew I had a gift and calling on my life. I didn't know how to. I was co- showing up to elders meetings with D.K. Y jumpsuits on, <laughs> hoodies on with the drawstring. I have my elder badge clipped to the hoodie with some Shamu Tims on like, yeah. I'm up in this piece. Ain't nobody dressing like you clowns. You look like penguins. Ain't nobody wearing these collars, son. I keeps it real with mine. And I kept it so real that I had no access. And I kept it real for about six months. And nobody said anything to me. And I'm in my quiet time with the Lord. Slow it down, I'm in my quiet time. When you get in your quiet time with the Lord, He gonna talk to you about you. He ain't gonna talk to you about your boss. He gonna talk to you about your wife. You get some quiet time with him. He ain't about to complain. Like he ain't about to co-sign with you. Like, yeah, I don't like them either. (laughs) He about to talk about you. And I got alone with the Lord and the Holy Holy Spirit said, you are hindering my plan for your life because you won't change your clothes. And I was like, (laughs) oh, why? I, I just wanna be myself. He's like, you can still be yourself. But man looks at the outward appearance. So I went to K and G, cause that's all I could afford at the time. Went to K and G, okay? And, and, and I, got, I got me three suits, okay? I got one Mr. Harvey suit, and then...
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> he, was, he was kinda hot at the time. Those pinstripes were kind of popping. And, and, and I got three other suits and, and, I, and I took it to a Russian woman who was a great tailor and I had it tailored to me. Okay? And, and, and I walked in the church and everybody was like, what? And I got an attitude. Oh, now you want to check me out. Back then... I was just trying to gauge when y'all got saved. Just trying to figure out when Christ came into your life. I see it was after Mike Jones. Okay, so um, I, I got the suits, and within three months, they were asking me to serve on the platform, to pray and to transition service and do all of that. I... I, I, I I had to understand and learn that you have to be ready when the season changes. You can't get ready when the season changes. You have to be ready when the season changes. God told the children of Israel, uh, uh, this is around, uh, Acts, uh, I'm sorry, Exodus chapter number 12 and 13. He said, uh, on, on the night of the Passover, you need to be dressed with your shoes on, standing up eat your dinner, standing up with your shoes on and your staff in your hand. That way, when I'm ready to move, you're not getting ready. You are ready. The anointing passes all seven of Jesse's sons and, 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 and God tells Samuel, none of these are it. And, and, and then he says, okay, well then who is it? And, and, and Samuel goes, do you have another son? And he goes, I do, but he's the youngest. And he's a shepherd. David didn't have a chance to get dressed for this. He didn't have a chance to shower for this. Somebody runs out and gets him. David, David, your dad, won't you? He was like, I'm out here with the sheep. My, my shift isn't over yet. He was like, your dad, won't you? David came in smelling like sheep dung, hair matted. Has sweated out all day, all his curls sweated out?
0: <laughs> he in the
1: house? Yes. All his other brothers sitting there, dressed up, showered, shaved, looking amazing. David runs in. <sighs> <laughs> what is, go, what is what's going on? And they said, uh, 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 they're trying to look for a king. I thought they already had a king. Shh, shh. Saul's still over there. But, but, but God is looking for somebody, and maybe you're it. And, and David steps up, and Samuel comes with the oil. He's like, Lord, is it, are you going to stop me? Is it? And the Lord's like, that's him right there. And that oil came out of that horn, went all through David's hair and down his face and into his clothes, just like it did to Saul and he was anointed. Can you imagine being told at your house the prophet coming in your house giving you the approval of God and saying you are the next king of Israel and its oil is on his head and 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 when it's done he's looking at his brothers he's looking at his daddy and he's like whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, what do I need to do? Go back and take care of the sheep. Can you imagine getting an anointing, but you got to go back to work? See, we all want this instant change. Make room! I'm getting ready because it's, it's about to be by, by, by week six of this. It might already. No, what if it's week six year? What if this whole word is 15 years from now? Could you hold it without becoming impatient with it? Because you want everything to change now. He, he gets anointed by Samuel and he goes straight back out to shepherd the flock. I can't imagine what it's like to know you're going to be a king. see, sometimes it's just good to be blissfully ignorant. I don't know what's going on, so I can't even, I don't even have nothing on my mind. But when God tells you something and you know you both, you're going back, you know, you shepherd you, shepherding, but you're like, how is it going? How he going? Yeah. Anybody beside me would be thinking about it, like, is Saul going, is he going to die in this next battle? Or how? <laughs> You call in the palace every day like, is he sick or is (laughs) it soft feeling okay? I just this oil. (laughs) Still, still in my hair.
0: He's
1: he's anointed. But it's not time. This is all in chapter number 16 of First Samuel. He's received this anointing. He's going back to take care of his dad's sheep. And at the time that he, the anointing is coming on David, it is leaving Saul. Because if you ever attempt to operate in something God gave you without his anointing, you can have it and not enjoy it. He didn't take the kingdom away from Saul. He took his anointing, his approval away from Saul. And the moment his approval was taken away, Saul started going crazy. Scripture says a tormenting spirit came and vexed, Paul, uh, uh, vexed uh, Saul. And it was not, it was not, um, uh, it was not Saul's suggestion but it was a suggestion of his servants to say, maybe we should find a musician that, that can play and, 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 and that would calm you down when that evil spirit rises up. Uh, and, and I know that's therapeutic because I'm the same way. If, when, when, when I'm getting mad about something, all I need is jazz. I don't need weed to go with it. <laughs> All I needed some instrumental jazz. It'll clear my head right up. All I needed is some instrumental worship music or, or all I needed is some, something to put me in the presence of God and to get my mind off of what's going on. They said, we, we can bring somebody to, to come in and, and play for you. They said, okay, so go find somebody. They said, there's a guy named David. Of all people. <laughs> the shepherd can also play a harp and not just like plucking at it. David out there like... He was the only shepherd that had a harp that the sheep was like... Ring, da, din, jam, bawling, That's stupid. I don't know why I said that. It's ridiculous. That's not even... It's nowhere in the Bible, please. Forgive me for that one. That was colorful and slightly inappropriate. (laughs) He can play the harp proficiently. And they they said, this dude can play the harp, and he's good looking. And I think as he plays this harp, it'll it'll make all of those evil spirits you have go away. And they said, they said, go get him. Saul said, go get him. And David came in, he started playing for Saul, and scripture says, Saul loved David. So much that he made him his armor bearer and said, call your daddy and tell him you're not coming back. Because I want you to be with me. I want you to imagine, David. The anointing of God and now being deemed by Saul himself the armor bearer. Can you imagine what's going through David's mind? Getting close. Samuel came in my house and anointed me. And I just got a job as the worship pastor for Saul. I'm in the palace. Can't nobody tell me nothing. I'm out chill. He's serving in Saul's court. And then a battle breaks out. And when the battle breaks out, Saul takes Eliab, Abinadab, and Shemaiah to the battle with him. He does not call David. The three eldest brothers of David that had been rejected by God as king is who Saul invites to go down to the battle with him. He does not call David. His armor bearer, his worship leader, is not invited to the fight. David does not interject that his resume is glowing when it comes to fights with animals. I've killed lions and bears. He doesn't tell him up front. But once again, it seems like he's been rejected. Somebody else has been chosen without him even being thought about. Now, I want you to keep this in context because... David's already received the anointing by Samuel. And he's already received his appointment by Saul. But those verses I read you, the Holy Spirit showed me something. Y'all, I've been preaching 25 years. I've never seen it until about a month and a half ago. And when God gives me a revelation out of his word that I've been reading for 25 years, I promise you to this day, I feel like I'm winning the lottery because I know I don't deserve to see nothing out of that book. The Holy Spirit has to reveal it or I'll never see it. I'm sitting there and I'm reading and the Holy Spirit said, I need you to look at verses 12 through 18. I go read, starting at verse number one, because when the Lord tells me to read something, I, I, I act like I never read it before. I don't get the mindset of, I already know what that say. That's arrogance. I came into 1 Samuel chapter number 17 brand new, like, what, what, what's that? I wonder what you have to say here. I wonder what this chapter's about. I start reading. And I read that Saul, Abinadab, Eliab, and Shemaiah had been at the battlefield with Saul, and because there was nobody to play music for, David wound up back with his dad shepherding a flock. And then David's dad, Jesse, says, "Uh, I need you to do me a favor. I need you to run an errand for me. Would you please take bread?" to your brothers, and cheese to the captains of Saul's army, and check on how they're doing, and come back and give me a report. David has an oily head and has a strategic position in the palace. And your daddy is asking you to run an errand. I gave you this whole story to zoom in on this moment that if David allows the oil on his head and the position he has in the palace to change his mind about being a servant he never fulfills his daddy's request. I have seen people get promoted to head usher and lose their whole mind. I have seen people get promoted to chief parking lot attendant and now you can't tell them nothing. I've seen people with 22 people in their church appoint themselves chief apostle and have more bodyguards than they have church members. Because they allowed the title, the appointment and the position to render them ineffective as being a servant. Hmm, let me slow down. David has been anointed by Samuel. He has been appointed by Saul. But neither Samuel's anointing nor Saul's appointing changes David's destiny. If David doesn't keep the heart posture of a humble servant. He actually misses the, every, the, the very thing God wanted to use to prove to everybody that he was the one that was supposed to be king. Let me slow down. Saul's anointing changed David's mind. I'm sorry, Samuel's anointing. I'm getting too hyped. Samuel's anointing changes David's mind. Saul's appointing changes David's position, but it is Jesse's errand that changes David's destiny. And if David is not humble enough to still be submitted to his father, knowing he's going to be the king, knowing he's already been appointed by Saul, then he does not make the trip that changes the trajectory of his life and saves all of Israel because he thinks he's above that. There has to be something on the inside of you that no matter what position God puts you in, you still have the heart of a servant. I never want to get to the position uh, 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 in any part of ministry where I go, ain't my job. See trash on the floor in the foyer. Hope somebody picked that up. See a dead cricket in the hallway. Hmm. (laughs) Housekeeping to be here at one. Hope they get that up. I saw it. I, 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 I want to be trusted to still run my father's errands. Doesn't matter if I'm a lead pastor, doesn't matter where he tells me to go. If God tells me to, to go give you some water, I still want to be found serving and doing what he's called me to do, because my position and my anointing does not put me above serving. Samuel the anointing changed his mind. That's why he hit his head. He, he, he had to get the mind of a king. And you don't get a mind of a king without having an anointing. You can never even think like one unless you've been anointed by God. So that, that oil changed his mind. I'm thinking like a king. Even though I'm not here with sheep, I'm thinking like a king. I know they're sheep now. They're going to be people later. I'm thinking like a king. The way I steward these sheep is, a, is the same way I will steward people. I have to think like a king. These are uh, uh, the responsibility uh, that God has given me. And even though they can't talk back, I have to be attentive to the bad. I gotta know when one is hurting and one is hungry. I gotta know when one is too tired and I gotta know that we can't go on to the next pasture because that will make these sheep fall out. We're only gonna go two miles when we could have went four miles because I gotta make sure the baby sheep can pick up with the adults. He's learning in the field. And when he gets to position, that's just to get him comfortable with the palace so that he'll know who to bow who and know who to talk to and know who to uh, uh, give the right uh, answer to. He, he just get, he, he lets him get acclimated, but, but, but it's neither Samuel or Saul that puts him and sets him up with destiny. It's Jesse. The same one that rejected him and didn't even invite him to the coronation. Said, would you please take this bread and this cheese, and just go see how your brothers are doing. And David, being the man he was, was like, sure, dad. Had no idea running this errand was about to change his life. Had no idea that running this errand was about to change his destiny. Had no idea that just obeying his father was going to mean the salvation for a whole nation. (laughs) Philippians chapter number two. Because I want you to understand uh, that that, that this same servitude and this same servant heart that is in David uh, is in uh, Jesus you know, 14 generations from David, we get Jesus and we get this. Philippians chapter number two, verse number five. I want you to understand that this is encoded into the DNA of every believer. If you would just unlock it, if you wanna make room, you have to be humble. You're gonna make room, you have to be a servant. You wanna make room, you have to get your mind open that God will use whatever uh, uh, opportunity to get you strategically placed in the place that you're supposed to be. Here's what it says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had, though he was God. He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. (laughs) When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Before I go any further. The reason why we're all sitting here today is because God sent his son on an errand. The only reason you are sitting here saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, all of your sins pardoned, back then, right now, and in the future, is because dad was sitting next to his son on his right hand and said, I have an errand that I need you to go on. It's gonna require you to give up Authority in the heavenlies, and it's going to require you to strip off glory in the heavenlies. And I'm going to need you to go down and get in a womb that you created so you can be who you need to be for the people that need to be delivered. I'm trying to show you, you can never allow the season of your life to make you think you cannot be a servant. Jesus got up from the table. He said, what you need me to do? He said, you, you, you know what happened to Adam and Eve? It's gonna, it'll, it'll never change if you don't run this errand. Now I know it's gonna be tough when you get down there to be amongst things you created. To nurse from breast that you put milk in. Yeah. To disciple men that you know the hearts of. But if you don't do this, we're going to be up here by ourselves. I'm trying to have a family reunion, son. And I'm not going to be able to do it if you don't run this errand. And Jesus got up from that table. They said, when do you want me to go? He said, not now, the prophets are still talking about you. I've already given them hints that you're coming, but I didn't tell them when. There's only one prophet that's gonna know when. But it's not time. And you can peek over the balcony of heaven and go, Well, David is. I can, I know we were gonna come through the bloodline of Saul, but David, he's a man after your heart. He's not perfect, he's got some flaws. But, but I think you can use, can I come through his bloodline? Because he's doing something that looked like what I would be doing. He goes, yeah, you can come through him. He said, but there's so much sin, you can't use a man and a woman. So I'm going to just impregnate the woman off the faith of a man that came thousands of years before her. You do know that it is Abraham's faith that got Mary pregnant. <laughs> I'll let y'all go read it later. <laughs> and Jesus came down. The glory of God, in the same way it used to come into the tabernacle, a tent, came into the womb of a virgin. And he didn't just show up fully man, like when he made Adam in the beginning. He decided to start from embryo. Scratch that zygote and work his way up, 30 years of silence, working for his stepdad (laughs) and learning what it would be like to be fully human without a divine side. And he said, I'm going to have to die for them. And it was this Aaron that made this day possible. I had to give you that before I read the rest of it, because the rest of it, we could go bananas over, but if you don't get the context to appreciate it, it'll mess you up. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, (laughs) God elevated him to the place of highest Honor and gave him the name above all other names. I got to stop right there. I'm trying to, I can't go too fast. His elevation came after his delivery. Some of us are trying to be promoted and we've never delivered. Some of us want to be elevated and we haven't even served. When I say make room, the only way, Juliet can attest to this, my parents can attest to this, the only way I have ever gotten elevated is I served my way into an elevation. I never just manipulated or hustled or I I grinded. This is not a career. I do not have a career. I have a calling. This is not a hustle for me. I didn't manipulate nobody. I didn't look at anybody and go, well, if I can get next to them, maybe I can connect. And maybe that'll mean, no, no, no. I don't have a ladder to climb. Yes. Promotion doesn't come from the east or the west. It comes from God. And he doesn't use a ladder. He uses his hand. Oh. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. That at the name, not the title. Demons don't care about titles. He wasn't given a title that at that title, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. Chief apostle, I bind you in the name of the chief apostle. I bind you in the name of the Rose of Sharon. I bind you in the name of Emmanuel. I bind you in the name of Jehovah Shammah. No, no title is going to make a demon bow. Demons don't care about titles. They know names. That's why a good name is better to be had than all the riches in the world. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, and at least 600 people say it. Let's compare and then we're done. Let's compare. Let's compare real quick. David, David had the oil of a man on his head. He had the position of a man on his resume. It's pretty high. It's pretty lofty stuff. All the the doors that God has opened for me in the last 25 years of ministry, I'll tell you what my dad says and I'll tell you what my mom says, because they say different things, same thing, differently. My daddy would always say, every time a door opened, some pretty heady stuff. Pretty big doors, God opening. Stay humble. There's a lot of people at that conference. A lot of people came to Jesus. A lot of access you've been given, a lot of influence that you're around. It could be some pretty heady stuff. Stay humble. That's daddy, mom. Baby. (laughs) I'm praying for you. But just remember no matter how high God takes you, you'll still be at his feet. You will still be at his feet. Let's compare. David, a man had to give him that. Had to give him the anointing. A man had to give him a position, a man had to give him a delivery to run on. Let's compare that with Jesus. Because when I say don't be too high to come down low, if I just leave you with the example of David, you might think, I can match that. But when we read Philippians, and you see how high Jesus came down, I don't care how much money you got in your bank account. I don't care if you kick it with senators and governors. I don't care if your trust fund has so many millions in it that it'll take you five lifetimes to spend it. Don't be too high to come in low. Every time I'm introduced to somebody and they ask me, What's your name, Tim? What do you do? I work at a church. Oh, are you one of the pastors? I am one of them. It's just my own reminder that the position means nothing. The title means nothing. The anointing means nothing. If I'm not humble. And the only way you can make room, the only way you will allow God only way you'll allow him to use you. The only way you'll go happy is humble. If you're offended by what he's asking you to do and you do it anyway, you won't even enjoy it. been there. I've been in seasons <laughs> where I would rather not do what he's asking me to do. But that's why you have to carry your cross. Because if you carry your cross, whenever you get into a situation where you got to choose your will or his, jump on it and die. That's why you carry it with you because you never know where you're going to need to die. Why you carry that cross? I never know when I'm going to have to kill myself. (laughs) I just don't even know. Sometimes it just, rebellion just jumps up on me, and I'm like, glad I got my cross. (laughs) Don't be too high. Don't be too prideful. Don't be too stubborn. Don't be too angry to come in low. Because your next promotion, your next elevation is on the other side of you being submitted to something God is calling you to do Right now.
0: Thanks for listening today. If this message spoke to you in any way, please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and leave a review too. We would like to connect with you. For past messages, updates, and more, please visit embassycity.com. You can watch live on Sundays and view past messages on our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash embassy city church. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Embassy Irving. If you'd like to support more of what we're doing, you can give online at embassycity.com or text embassycity, all one word, to 77977. We pray you have a great week. Thanks for listening today.